Welcome back to Gin Welcome Topic. Welcome back to Welcome Gin Topic. Welcome back to Gin Topic. If you've forgotten, I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we drink gin. And we don't know anything. <laughs> but it's okay, because we've got a load more experts. We've got some really cool topics, and we're going to find out about them. Yeah, while drinking gin. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Okay. Who have we got today, Sarah? Well, today we have got Sue Charman Anderson. Charman Anderson. Mm-hmm. Nice, like that. And, well, Sue has her own Wikipedia page, which Whoa. is pretty exciting. <laughs> um, and she founded Ada Lovelace Day in 2009. Nice. To encourage more pe- more women into STEM mm. or basically just to celebrate I know um, I'm not women in STEM in tech, but we know how much I love to go on about equality. So yeah. I love this. Well, we are. Yeah. Cuz <laughs> our question for this week is oh. Well, the topic is gender equality. Hey. <laughs> And our question is, how do we improve gender equality in the workplace? Oh, that's such a good question. Mm. That's really good. I have recently read Invisible Woman, mm-hmm. which is all about data bias against women. Uh-huh. And I had to stop reading it before bed because it got me so angry. I'll tell you some car crash stats later. Mm. Blow your mind. But I feel like this is going to be really good because everything I read in that got me really quite like... <sighs> like hulk mode activated yeah 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 so yeah this is gonna be fun this could be you might need to move the microphone a little further away (laughs) and well gender equality i mean we are both pro equality and we have many many conversations regardless of any factors just equality for all and what do we know um Mm -hmm. we know a lot of stuff from experience (sighs) yeah yeah unfortunately Um, well I know from my um, communication stuff yeah. that um, the pitch of the voice yes. yeah. is um, correlated with our perception of size. Yeah, it's interesting so about we... the pitch of voice, though, because I think I have quite a low pitch mm-hmm. for a woman, mm-hmm. and I think that works in my favour. Well, this is the thing, because the pitch is connected with size of, of an animal and therefore dominance. So we oh, are biased towards low pitch voices. But then when I'm in my retail job, I put on a fake higher ah. pitch because then people are nicer to me. It's like, hi, how are you? Because a high pitch voice is polite, meek yep. and weak. Oh, and, and I am subconsciously channeling oh, your polite, high, meek, oh, weak fuck voice. But that is, it, and yes. it's like a subservience type. It's yeah. a, it's this hierarchy. But in general, so one thing that fascinates me is that round a meeting room, a woman can say one thing, a man can say another, and because of the pitch of the voice, yeah. the the male version mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can be heard just total subconscious bias because it's a lower pitch voice and it's therefore more dominant i've got loads of stats i could go on about now but i'm trying to remember that we are all talking about it specifically in stem well and this i don't know neither of us i would say are stem people Mm -hmm. i think that's fair to say Mm -hmm. but i think there is a massive issue with a lot of STEM fields, with yes. encouraging girls to get into them at a young age and then it yeah. carrying on. Because I remember even at a younger age, it was the whole thing of, you know, well, boys like science more. So then we get 
onto lots of our soapboxes about gender equality. But going back to the question, how do we improve gender mm. equality in the workplace? I have no I have idea. One thing I've heard of that did improve gender equality that is not related to STEM, but I want to talk about it anyway, because mm-hmm. I loved it. So in writers' rooms, obviously you have lots of people talking for hours on end about how to write shows. And there was one particular writer's room where they realised that women were getting ignored more than men or just weren't speaking up at all because they knew they weren't listened to. So they implemented a no interruption policy. You weren't allowed to interrupt anyone while they were speaking. And suddenly the women were giving way more answers because they weren't being interrupted. I'd really struggle in that environment though because I constantly interrupt everyone. We interrupt each other all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that is really cool. Really cool. So all sorts of things that because because we are uh, passionate about gender equality. Yeah. yeah. So we've got loads of things that we've gathered mm-hmm. from along the way. Yeah. Um, but, Intersexual feminism, woo-hoo! but not within a STEM workplace, no. and not and definitely not about how to how to make it better. No, got no idea. And so that's what I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to find by out. the gin as well. I know. The gin, gin, gin. gin, gin, gin. Now we can we can do we this can do with Sue, Sue because yeah. talking to Sue, I said, "What gin are we going to drink?" And Sue said, "Well, there's a gin that is my favourite, and it's a um, it's in my cupboard, and it's a local gin." Yeah. And of course, she's not local. Yeah, well, this is us. our first international guest. It is. The wonders of Zoom allowing this to happen. Absolutely. So we'll let Sue in. Yes. And then she can tell us about the gin because it's her choice. And then we, and then can, we can talk drink about it. equality while drinking gin. Oh, it's like my ideal day. It's so brilliant. <laughs> this is just what I do in the pub most of the time. <laughs> so now we have your gin. Yes. Um, and... I was delighted when we were talking about it and I was able to find it, but I couldn't find any Q tonic. So we've got Fever Tree. Mm-hmm. I have I have the gin, brand new bottle. Excellent. And I have the, the Fever Tree. Yes. I can't believe you managed to get Prairie over there. <laughs> I'm excited by this. It's, it's our favourite. We discovered it um, when we were living in Sheboygan in Wisconsin. And um, and if anybody's in Wisconsin at any point in time uh, ever, go to Sheboygan because it's just the most adorable little chunk of sort of Americana that you think only exists in mm. John Hughes movies. Yeah. Um, it's got a lovely downtown. It's right on Lake Michigan. Our house was a five minute walk from the lake. So on a rough day, you could hear the waves. Oh, wow. And it was just, oh, it was so lovely. I miss it so hard. Um, but yeah, so we found this. Farm crafted prairie organic gin crafted in Minnesota. Um, and frankly, we um, it's rapidly become our favorite gin. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I am excited about it. And I, yeah. I had a read about it as well because I'm heavily into organic, sustainable, all the rest of it. It's like Sarah's um, buzzword. Um, they, they're not only producing just spirits, but they're doing a whole load of campaigning and helping farmers to go um, organic and to be more sustainable in all of their productions. So We can feel good drinking it, is what you're saying. They seem to be really cool. Now, should we pour some? Should we get some ready? We've decided to go with some thyme because we wanted something a bit different to go with our gin today. Yeah, I felt like mixing it up. Now, tell us as well, because we were 
talking about the gin that we were going to drink. And mm. as you said, you have opinions mm. on tonic. <laughs> we think you've got the same opinions yeah. that we have. Mm-hmm. But share yours and we'll play snap. Mm-hmm. So my my opinions um, really are, are very geographical in that... American tonic water, so mass-produced American tonic water is sweetened with high fructose right. corn syrup, yeah. and it tastes like sick. <laughs> it's just horrible. It really is. It's, it's just got this kind of... Uh, I mean, I don't like any soft drinks that are uh, sweetened with high fructose corn syrup mm-hmm. because I find it sickly and yeah. just oversweet and mm-hmm. and false. So we are desperate to, to find decent, affordable tonic and when we were in Sheboygan we actually found this tonic the brand was uh, White Rock I think it was mm-hmm. and there was one shop that sold it but luckily it was a shop that we went to fairly recently and we would literally go in and just like clear out all of their tonic and all of their their ginger ale <laughs> and then we moved to Cleveland and we have been on the hunt for this stuff and there mm-hmm. is again one shop that sells it and it is on literally the other side of the city so it's like a 40 minute drive Oof. and there's no way to tell if they have it or not before you go. Um, and bizarrely, it's a DIY store. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we are, um, yeah, Fever Tree and Q are the tonics that we kind of have to drink. We It's so hard to get this other stuff that was kind of cheaper and nicer in, in my money, uh, sweetened with cane sugar. So um, Fever Tree is uh, cane sugar sweetened yeah. and yeah is agave sweetened and it's a slightly odd taste to my palate um but it's all right where the, but the thing that annoys me I have this really quite small bottle of tonic and this was three bucks <laughs> and I I yearn wow. I yearn wow. for Sainsbury's bog standard you know brandless tonic for what was it 49p a bottle when I was in the mm. UK which was now like 2014 so, so yeah, my, my opinions on tonic is, oh, my God, you don't know how lucky you are. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's try. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, yeah, now that's a gin. That's a, that's a gin. That's, that's like, oh, I can feel it warming my bones. Actually, it's lovely. Mm. And it is delicate. They said delicate, yeah. but it's still got the juniper. Yeah. But without being, it doesn't completely dry your mouth. It's an, oh dear, I've accidentally drunk the whole glass yeah. kind of gin. <laughs> it is something that I think gin gin maybe shouldn't be, which is quaffable. Mm. But it is, it's quaffable. Light flavour, it's very easy to plough yeah. through a glass oh, of no. this. This is way too nice. Oh, Actually, it's really lovely. So we went with thyme. Mm. We were going to go with burnt rosemary because we... Um, suddenly remembered and thought we'd be a bit bougie but didn't and I'm delighted we didn't because I think the rosemary would have been too strong but the time's lovely the time is gorgeous yeah lovely this this could be um could become a new favorite and it's it's perfect for summer it it is a very summery yeah in it it is it is a really nice warm summer's day sitting outside in the garden with a book the book and, and and a gin and and some sunshine, um, yeah, it, it's I love it. it it's it's such a, a delicate flavour without being too weedy. 
it, it is genuinely it's quite it's complex and nuanced yeah. yes yeah so as well as the gin we are going to talk gender equality uh which we've just been talking about what we know so Anya and I have a lot of collective knowledge and (laughs) opinions opinions on equality. Um, It is important. Yeah. (laughs) And lots of things we've collected along the way through reading and experience and all sorts. Mm -hmm. But we know very little about how you would encourage gender equality, Mm -hmm. especially within the sort of tech STEM Mm-hmm. Uh, workplace environments because we haven't been in them the stem world is rather alien to me yeah so how do we improve it oh, start big why don't you <sighs> start big <laughs> I, I do love how you have started with the um the simplest and, and smallest question you could possibly <laughs> ask um so I'm, I'm gonna be actually slightly controversial is the wrong word but maybe perhaps slightly irritating and and say money Money is where we start. Money is what is missing. Um, we have oodles of evidence about what does and doesn't work by now. Um, there have been gender equality programs running for decades. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we know that one-off interventions don't work. So, you know, having a, a speaker go into a school and, and give a talk. Oh, God, we had those. Oh, God. Oh. It doesn't doesn't move the dial. You know, we have so much evidence around the way that children develop their identities, how young they become aware of gender stereotypes. Um, and oh, oh, who who's a nice strong boy? You can't we put the chairs away? My butt was up every time. Like, I'm going to put the chairs away. I'm a strong boy. You always had this really competitive edge on on exactly that kind (laughs) of level. So um, I remember uh, when I was 15, 16, Mm -hmm. and my parents were starting to put an extension on uh, the the house. And and so they were doing it, a lot of it themselves. And they were digging the foundations. And so, you know, my brother's out there and they're Mm -hmm. they're kind of digging foundation they, they're just breaking the ground they've got like pickaxes and all the rest of it and I'm like well I can I can use a pickaxe I can do, mm-hmm. I can do yeah. that yeah and our, our neighbor drove past and, and he was um may, maybe not the most enlightened person on the planet mm. and started teasing me about oh you know little girl wielding a pickaxe and I was very much of the I could put this through your windshield if you good. like good right way to respond mm-hmm um, you know, I always wanted to, we had a cold fire. I always wanted to be the one to make the fire because my brother always did it. Um, I worked at Safeways as a teenager and uh, I was a checkout chick for a long time and then got bored of that and was like, I want to be a grocery boy. And they're like, we well, can't do that because you're not a boy. And I'm like, well, I can do that. Yeah. And they're like, well, we'll put together, we'll think about it and we'll, we'll put together maybe some kind of test to make sure that you're physically capable of the demands of the job. So they pile up this pallet with sugar and tins and all the heavy stuff. And they're like, if you can move this pallet across the warehouse, then you've got the job. And what they didn't realise, I'd spent all summer pulling pallets around a warehouse. Mm, so yeah. I was just like, okay, then. Easy. <laughs> and kind of basically pulled it one-handed across the warehouse and they were all, uh, 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 okay. I'm I- <laughs> You're a grocery boy now, then. <laughs> 
excellent. I think we've all had similar experiences mm. in that upbringing. I remember my first car um, and I got a Beetle as my first car. And my dad said to me, well, if you're getting your first car, you need to know about how to look after it. So he sent me on a car maintenance course. Turns out this car maintenance course, and because I had a Beetle, it was different to every single car. So the guy running it was like, okay, so I'll explain what we're doing this week. And then Sarah, completely forget everything I've just told you because your car's different. So I had almost one-to-one tuition on this car. So by the end of it, I could basically service and do all this to the point where my brother was there going, I've got a problem with my car engine. Could you have a look? I'm like, yeah, no problem. But so I would do that. But of course, my beetle would regularly break down mm-hmm. and constantly. Oh, do you need a hand? And I'm like, I can bloody do not- it. This is the thing, right? We are talking about baked in mm-hmm. cultural. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about baked in biases and structures. Yeah. You know, this isn't just about you know, one individual person's attitude or their their worldview this is about fundamental structures that mold how children and adults think about women and women's place in the world yeah yeah and so when you're looking at like how do we change this what you are essentially saying is how do we change culture which is a massive thing to change It's a a big, it's big, slow kind of, you know, ship at sea. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes, you know, you kind of feel like it is just this ocean going liner and we're trying to steer it, um, you know, around an iceberg. Because let's face it, women add to the economy, we add Mm -hmm. to culture. And and when we're absent, things go wrong. And I don't say that as a kind of like, oh, you know, women are so brilliant and perfect, although obviously we are. Um, But when you look at how products are developed, uh, mm-hmm. when women aren't in the room, they there is a paucity of information and yeah. uh, and, and and thought. So that's mm-hmm. why you have issues around things like drugs not being tested on women, seatbelts. Yes. Seatbelts, seatbelts. Sorry, this is the thing I read uh, about. I, re- yeah. I was reading Invisible Woman the other day, and I'm really hung up about the cars. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then you've got um, you know slightly less uh, uh, you know critical issues, but still very annoying, like health apps that launch without being able yeah. to track menstrual cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the the story about Clippy. You remember Clippy, the little Microsoft paperclip? Oh yeah, that was tested. Um, by Microsoft, or so the story goes, and lots of women kind of fed back and went, "That's really creepy." Could could yeah. you like not do that? And they completely ignored it. And and Clippy is now the archetypal creepy yeah. sort of surveillance bot mm-hmm. thing that everybody yeah. hates. Like yeah. I, I've never met anybody who likes Clippy. No. Yeah. And so you have all of these areas and the, these issues where women are either marginalised or ignored, or just simply their existence is is not even part of the equation. There's all these impacts of not having women engaged in in product design and development and safety Mm -hmm. testing and drug testing and all that kind of stuff that that it's just, it's just really, really difficult. So we have this kind of like iceberg of stuff that's not happening, economic activity that's not happening, safety stuff that's not happening. We have this ocean going liner that is really hard to steer um, and it's really hard to get it to change course. Um, and, you know, we 
if we don't do something, you know, we, we are going to hit the iceberg. We are, we are mm. kind of, well, we're already suffering as a, uh, as an economy, as a community, as a society. But I think part of the, the issue here is that as we develop kind of uh, more evidence about the shape of the problem and how it can and can't be solved, um, you end up with people trying to kind of, uh, to mix metaphors, derail things. And so, you know, we have a choice at the moment is like, we can either kind of try and and steer a a straighter course to a better future, or we're going to end up uh, like the ever given Mm -hmm. stuck across the Suez Canal, you know, with (laughs) our nose stuck into a sandbank. Um, and I know that I really, really stretched that metaphor just to mention the other, <laughs> uh, and I'm not sorry. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to have a drink to celebrate Brilliant. it. <laughs> but at the bottom of all of this is money. Mm. And mm. this is, I, I, I try to talk about this as much as possible because as a woman and as a British woman, we are socialized not to ever talk about money, not to yeah. ask for it, not to mention that it even exists. And, and, you know, it's, Money is at the the bottom of this because when you think about the way that our our change is structured right now, mm. if you think about right, okay, so we are trying to uh, encourage girls into STEM. We're trying to support them through their mm-hmm. schooling and through the university and into careers. We're trying to support women in STEM. And so much of this is being done off the backs of women's unpaid or low paid labor. Yeah. And then we ask, mm. well, who benefits from this? Yeah. So we, we have a lot of evidence that companies with uh, a more equal gender balance in senior leadership roles are significantly, perhaps even as high as 15%, more profitable than companies that are male-led. I had I had two things that are rattling through my brain when you were talking. One is there is a lot of talk at the moment on the handling of the pandemic and the leaders that have got uh, a handle on it being female. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got that, which I really want to mm-hmm. talk about. Um, the other one that I've got is a past experience of mine, which... I find really interesting when you're talking about derailing Mm -hmm. because I was involved. I was brought in to help on a female mentoring. This is quite a while ago. Is this like a girl boss pyramid scheme mentality? Well, absolutely. It was women mentoring others within a very male, um, uh, not quite tech environment. And the reason why it wasn't working is because the higher they got up in that management the more they were going to keep everyone else down because they were challenging their limited uh, opportunities for women Mm -hmm. within there so there wasn't going to be any mentoring going on because it was a finite sort of equality that was on offer which makes you so sad so they were there were the two things you can pick where do we go so this is really interesting because I think the the point that I was sort of making about um Companies are benefiting from female labor um, and companies benefit from female leadership, but they're not willing to pay to um, 
to help create the changes that they benefit from. And much of this is actually to do with styles of leadership and what leaders think is important. So I, I definitely think that they there is a, a sort of male and female style of, of leadership. And it has an impact on, on so many uh, aspects of a, a company or an organization or a government. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a really interesting piece. I think it was in the Times last year. It was like, you know, why are we encouraging women to learn how to lead like men mm-hmm. when women yeah. who lead like women are better leaders? And we've certainly seen this in the COVID pandemic, right? So Jacinda Ahern. Oh, we love Jacinda. She's absolutely amazing. And the way that she has led and the way that she leads is, is with compassion and empathy, but with clarity and transparency. Mm-hmm. So throughout the COVID pandemic, basically, firstly, the thing that she did right was she looked at it and went, this is going to take a long time to sort out. Yeah. So we need to have a system that is robust for the long term. Mm-hmm. So they were very clear on their communications. They were very clear on their boundaries as, you know, we see these number of cases and then that trips this activity. And everybody knew where they were at and everybody understood what was happening and why. Mm-hmm. And so what they did was, was firstly, uh, being proactive I mean, without even talking about the epidemiology or any of that, but just that proactivity and that empathy and the way that she communicated in terms of like, I know this is hard. I know that you're suffering. I know that um, you know, this is just a really difficult situation and, and you're not going to want to lock down. You're not going to want to do this stuff, but we have to do it for mm. everybody's mm-hmm. sake. Yeah. And then everything was just, uh, uh, clear and and simple. Whereas, if you look at the UK or, or, or the oh. US, it's just absolutely terrible. The 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 whole attitude of, well, you know, we'll we'll lock down in a couple of weeks. You know, it's not that bad now. We'll lock down in a couple of weeks, and then it'll all be over, and everything will be fine, and we can all go back to normal. And that messaging, I think you know, people heard that a couple of times and then was like, well, no, it's not going to go back to normal. And so I'm just going to like ignore stuff. And then you have the whole Barnard Castle, Dominic Cummings fiasco. You have various people who were, should have known better, who did not adhere to the lockdown rules. The lockdown rules kept changing. The communications keep changing. You know, are we in lockdown? Are we in tears? Are we in steps? Like, what are we in? Like, what does any of this mean? Um, It was a fiasco. and, And it's, it's just, Because it comes from, firstly, a total lack of empathy and compassion for the people Mm -hmm. on the receiving Mm -hmm. end. Um, Secondly, it comes from arrogance of the idea that um, it'll all be over soon instead of seeing it for what it was. I mean, it was obvious. Yeah. And the majority of people locked themselves down before the government did anything. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, it's, it's very similar issue in in the US but slightly worse because of uh the the politics here it was just so much more polarized and 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 divisive um Mm. but I think that the one thing that women bring to the table is that we learn from a very young age to read the room to be aware of who's who what's going on you know some of us hyper aware potentially yeah. 
and some of us had to learn a little bit later in life because I wasn't very good at this as a kid. This did not come naturally to me, but you have to learn as a woman, whether it comes naturally or not, you have to learn to read the room. Men don't. Men can just like blase, kind of yeah. wander their way through and do and, whatever. And not a gender born thing but uh, again we're going back to this societal built in all the way through you know the whole boys will be boys and and boys can be what they want but women have to learn how to and that whole built in structure all the way through from there but also saying that you know we're talking about this as three white women and well absolutely and then there is the whole there's so much more nuanced conversation around that and the whole intersection and i'm not going to go completely off but then is it the case within STEM fields as well that when you get into that more nuanced data of, you know, breaking down women into different categories, you know, black women and disabled women, does it then get even harder? Because I would assume it obviously does. The the issue of intersectionality is is really, really important. And, and you know, it's a good one to, to bring up. I think, you know, there is a lot of understanding that um, as a woman, you have, you, you, it's a challenge. Because you have to be twice as good Mm -hmm. as the men for half the pay. So then when you look at, say, you know, black women, they have to be three times as good Mm -hmm. for 40% of the pay. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, Latina, it's the same thing. Disabled, same thing. Uh, You know, neurodivergent, same thing. And so you have this kind of stacking of Mm -hmm. the cards and the more... um, sort of categories you fit into the greater the deck is stacked against you and I think you know when we are talking about yeah how do we um change the way that society views people um yeah we're looking at really sort of changing the way that society views women to see them as uh as experts as knowledgeable as authority as credible authorities and whatever challenges white women have women of color have you know 10 times over and and so on and so what we're really trying to do is is pick apart um the way that that people see people in all of these categories Mm. and the challenge there is that it's because of the way that humans work it's difficult to challenge more than one stereotype at a time yeah so, for example, if you are um, a fairly blokey woman, you know, you wear trousers, you swear, swear a lot, you don't wear makeup, um, you know, you're a bit laddish, uh, you, that is a kind of, in, in STEM, that's kind of like an acceptable... Yeah, yeah. you're, you're yeah. okay, you're one of the lads, you can be accepted. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we go back to the politicians and the, if you're communicating and, and leading as a man, then that's more acceptable in those environments than yeah. if you're allowed to be a woman. And I was just thinking as well, when you were talking about, you know, you're talking about women and women, Uh, white women women of color women of disability but actually we're talking about gender equality no matter what form of gender and this is the thing and i think as well bearing in mind that as oppression is intersectional so is empowerment uh, is intersectional so the work that we do on empowering women also benefits other people yeah is as you start to break down stereotypes, 
you free people up to be who they are, mm. not mm. who they think you want them to be. Mm. And I think this is this is a point that often gets miss, missed is that, you know, when, when we're talking about gender equality, that's that's a focus. It's not a limitation. Mm-hmm. So I focus on gender equality because firstly, that's what I'm passionate about, but also because um, the way that I try to do things is to be very mindful of intersecting attributes, different axes of diversity, um, and to make sure that what I do does benefit everyone so that mm-hmm. it's not white feminism it is intersectional. It is trying to be as supportive as possible of, of women from whatever background. Mm-hmm. But there are also kind of, you know, limits of focus and limits of resource. So, for example, you will probably not see me ever doing a a campaign that is focused on one subset of women because the work that I do, it's just me. I just don't have the resources to to hire in special uh, knowledge and and to to focus on on one group so i try and be as as wide and all encompassing as possible so you know i i'm not trying to just um you know focus on on one group and this really does come back to the issue of money and resources because if i did have the resources then it would be possible to say, right, okay, how do we, um, you know, roll out what we're doing for for sort of subgroups of women in a way that meets their specific needs? Um, and so I think there's a that all of this comes down to um, that I do not know a single organization working on any kind of equality that is as well funded as it needs to be yeah Mm. Mm. we have to ask why why is it that we are not willing to spend the money on empowering underserved and marginalized communities Mm -hmm. and this and then you start to get into this sort of like catch 22 well we don't do it because we don't think that it's important and we won't think that it's important until the campaigning work is done and so you get kind of stuck in this kind of swirl around the bath plug Mm -hmm. um and it's just a fight always to to progress um on on any front and i think you know the one thing that gives me hope is that social change is unpredictable yeah so America's really interesting country in, in so many ways. And I, I know I've been maybe a little negative about the tonic situation. <laughs> um, but one of the things that's fascinating about the US is that it isn't actually a country. Mm-hmm. It is a federation of little mini countries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Each state can set its own laws around certain things. Um, mm-hmm. And most social issues are legislated for at a state level before they're legislated for at a federal level. Yeah. So I believe it was the New York Times did this amazing uh, graphic several years ago looking at particular um, social issues mm-hmm. and how long it took for uh, a majority of states to legislate on a particular issue. And I believe they, they started off with um, the... Uh, uh, with anti-miscegenation laws, so allowing uh, cross-racial marriages. 
And it's a really long tail. You've got kind of one state every few years going, oh yeah, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe this <laughs> is. Yeah. And then eventually it hits this tipping point and then suddenly all the states have, have yeah. legislated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was the same with, you know, uh, gender things and, um, you know, uh, uh, LGBT issues and you know now you're kind of seeing the same thing around legalization of marijuana so yeah. you have this um long tail uh, and then a sudden change point yeah. where everyone just gets on board mm-hmm. and what's really interesting is that that long tail is getting shorter and shorter and shorter mm. right. cross-racial marriage uh legalization you took ages but mm. then when you come to same-sex marriage, that actually took not that much time in comparison. And so as we m- progress, um, it seems that these issues are taking less and less and less time. The, the, mm. the tipping point is sharper. Yeah. And so I think the challenge that we have as as activists and campaigners, and uh, I think of myself as a sort of like activist entrepreneur, you know, I, I run a business, not a charity, and that's a whole other discussion. Why <laughs> should all of this stuff be seen as charitable? Why is it not possible to run a business doing this stuff? Um, but as someone in the thick of it, you cannot tell how far you are along uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that bit at the bottom of the curve. Yeah. You know, if that's the long tail, at some point you're going to hit the rat's ass. <laughs> yeah. But you can't see it until you found it and you're looking back on the whole curve yeah yeah so we actually i see a lot about you know current rates we're not going to see equality for a hundred years it's like but we're not looking at linear change yeah we're looking at an asymptotic curve so basically it's going to look like nothing's happening and then suddenly it's all going to change yeah and when you were saying about that that tail getting shorter and going back to your original um, ship analogy is like it's really hard to get it to turn if it's on a course but actually once you are turning it is then easier to keep it turning and turning and turning so once we do make one change it then seems easier to make another change and make another change that can and that makes me feel a little hopeful Yeah. That we can eventually get towards equality quicker than is perceived. And I think, you know, this is really important as well, because, you know, we we need to look after our own emotional and mental health through this process. I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. So running Ada Lovelace Day and now the Finding Ada Conference and the Finding Ada Network and doing all the stuff that I've been doing for the last 12 years. There have been times, more than one, more than two, where I have just been a sobbing heap on the floor going, why am I doing this? You know, I'm I'm earning a fraction of what I would earn if I was working in industry. Mm-hmm. Um, no one ever says thank you. Well, actually, that's not true. Some people do, but it's quite rare. You don't get much in the way of feedback. Um, and then, you know, someone comes along and and says something kind of snarky or or whatever. And it, it just kind of makes you think, well, why am I bothering? Why am I doing this? Yeah. And I think, you know, this sort of 
sense that I have that maybe we we are closer to wholesale change than it feels like is is you know keeps me going on the dark days because it's like if I don't push through this if I don't keep going then this change will never happen it is up to my copious amounts of stubbornness Mm -hmm. to to keep trying and keep pushing and at some point you know we will we will see that change and I I know you know some people are quite unhopeful that's not the right word you know they're 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 quite pessimistic yeah um whereas I'm kind of like no I have to retain some optimism I have to think that we're going to see this within my lifetime yeah but it is it's was it Joe Brand on Have I Got News for You was talking about the whole you know, it's small things that happen day after day after day that do slowly wear you down. And is a case that if you're a woman, you're experiencing tiny things over and over and over again, that as much as it's a small thing, it does get to you eventually. And then you'll have a moment where you go, oh, it's just so frustrating. Then you go, well, I'm just going to pick myself up and carry on because at some point it's got to change. What can we, just we as in listeners do on a daily basis of little things to help it along the way. So I'm I'm going to refer initially on this to James Clear, who wrote this book called Atomic Habits, which I, I read over Christmas and it absolutely changed the way that I view almost everything. Um, and I really recommend it. But he makes this incredibly important choice, you know, where Joe Brand is talking about these little things that happen day after day that wear you down. The opposite is also true. Totally. Small changes. If you make a 1% change for the better Mm -hmm. every week, very, very soon, you have made a huge change because it all adds up. Compound interest for the win. (laughs) So small things do count. Small things do matter. Mm -hmm. And given the theme of the conversation today, the most important thing that people can do is look at the money Mm -hmm. and how they can support with no strings attached cash um, organizations working in areas about which they are passionate and this means looking not just at who in your company runs your um, CSR your corporate social responsibility budget who runs your marketing budget but more than that who runs your learning and development budget And are they doing anything specifically to support the women in your company? And this may be um, anything from mentoring. I throw that out there because I run a mentoring uh, network. And um, yes, you can pay me to run mentoring for you. (laughs) Yes, plug, yes. (laughs) Are they teaching senior staff how to champion women within the organization so the difference between championing and mentoring is mentoring is about supporting a person to make internal change Mm -hmm. championing is about putting someone forward for uh promotion making sure they get invited to meetings or events where they can develop making sure they have access to training opportunities Um, and you know learning and development uh, uh staff is so so important for them to understand that they are losing female staff because they do not have access to development opportunities. We know this. So there's this this study from a few years back that found that 80-something percent of women in science, engineering, and technology love their jobs, but 56% leave mid-career. 
Those numbers don't add up. If women love the work, why are they leaving? And it turns out it's for really dull, mundane reasons. They aren't getting promoted. They don't see a career path forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, They aren't getting training. They aren't getting to do the innovative and creative jobs. They're feeling frustrated. They're not supported in terms of work-life balance, whether that's uh, caring for children or caring for elders, which is, you know, increasingly Generation X women are having to do both at the same time. Yeah. One of the other things that people can do is go talk to their HR department Mm -hmm. and talk about policy. do they have a uh, flexible working policy? Flexible working is something that really supports women. And there's no excuse now for not having a working from home policy. Yes. Because we have all worked from home. And guess what? It's it worked. The world did not burn down in the meantime. Um, do they have fractional working policies? Mm, what's a fractional working policy? Um, Part time working. So you can do, say, maybe four days a week Mm -hmm. or you can do half a week um, or you can kind of alternate your week. So if you marry fractional working with flexible working, certainly you're choosing if you have fewer hours and you're choosing when you do them Mm -hmm. and maybe this gets married with job sharing then suddenly there's so much more flexibility for women to engage in the workforce. And the key policy to go along with these is actually paternity leave. Yes. Oh, I love paternity leave. Bigger predictor of whether women go back to work after they've had a family is the uh, access to paternity leave. Men need to take paternity leave, not two weeks after (laughs) birth. Could you nod any harder? I know that you're letting some frustration out here because you've gone bright red and you're nodding like a nodding dog. Furthermore, that paternity leave must not erode women's maternity leave. Yes. We cannot have a situation where men, where you have a mixed uh, mixed leave and women are doing all the hard work and men are going, well, hey, I can take some time off in paternity leave and I can apply for this grant and I can get ahead on my emails. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. That is not paternity leave. Change the stinky nappy. It is a poo explosion that's gone up the back. Change it. <laughs> it is it- absolutely about that culture of how men view having a family and how they view what paternity leave is for. I I did hear about a male academic recently who said that COVID had been fantastic because he'd got so many papers written and uh, so many grant applications in where we have statistics that show that women are not... Uh, women in academia are not uh, submitting the same number of papers and not submitting the same number of grant applications because they are so busy homeschooling the kids yeah. uh, and the fathers are not doing their share of the work. Yeah. And we need to change that. And the thing is, is like so many of these changes are beneficial to men too. Yeah, absolutely. Paternity leave it is like, this is an opportunity for you to bond with your wonderful children and get to know them and learn how to care for them so that you don't end up in a situation where... You don't know how to have a conversation with them until they're aged 11. (laughs) 
Well, the whole kind of like, oh, well, daddy's not good enough. Mummy has to, you know, comfort, provide the comfort and look after your little boo-boo. You know, daddy has to be good enough and daddy has to step up and learn how to do all this stuff and be someone their child is going to turn to. I'm getting goosebumps. (laughs) I would just like to share that with the group. I now have goosebumps. (laughs) This, this is also so important. There is a penalty, a career penalty for women who have children. Oh, I know. And every time I read about it, I think, do I really want kids? Because I'm not sure I do. I mean, when you combine everything, the pain, the, the everything. I mean, I hate the idea anyway. I'd much rather adopt. But anyway, then I think about that and I go, maybe I just don't really want them. I really like dogs. And honestly, I'd be a great fun aunt. <laughs> To be fair, cats have been perfectly good enough for me. Yeah, see, but see? I think, but but that's another thing of society, isn't it? That actually children need to be a choice rather yeah. than an expectation you know from say, you I as a woman. I I was watching a documentary um, about how more people in sort of millennial down generations are choosing not to have yeah. kids, and a lot of them were women because they were talking about the fact that it was just a fucking ball ache for them. And then they were going, and is that even my choice? Or is that me just not wanting to have all the consequences that come with them? Do I actually want kids? But I just don't want to have to deal with all the stuff that society gives me when I have kids. And and this is the thing. It's just to to finish up the earlier thought. is like women are penalised for having children. Men are rewarded. Yeah. Men Mm. are paid more when they are fathers Mm -hmm. because suddenly they're the breadwinner and, you know, having a family Mm -hmm. is important. So... There is so much in this where if if we can kind of even things out again, it, this is not me saying men should be penalised for having children. This is me saying no. men should mm. be rewarded for having children and so yeah. should women. Should women, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And people who don't have children should be rewarded for that too. Let's reward yeah. everybody. Everyone deserves a reward. You get a car and you get a car and you get a car. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of Oprah for you there. <laughs> Just raising these issues asking these questions and saying okay like I I want to know what the situation is within my company about these particular issues and then for those people who have uh, enough seniority enough sway bringing this up and saying okay I don't think our paternity leave is sufficient and men need to do Mm. that like because women can do that till we're blue in the face and nothing will change men need to be saying Okay, we need fractional working. We need flex, flexible working. Uh, we need to look at our compensation schemes. We need to look at how we recruit. Small changes in the wording of a job ad can massively change who applies for it. Yeah. You know, we need to change how we do promotions. The the gender pay gap is largely explained by uh, uh, just too many women in junior roles and not enough women mm, in yeah. senior roles. Mm. So we're obviously not promoting people. And like I say, we're losing women mid-career because they just yeah. have had a belly full and they just don't want to have to deal with it anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's all these structural things we can do to change. They're not particularly complicated. None of this is actually challenging. Mm-hmm. It just takes someone with the willpower to say this is what we need to do mm-hmm. and this is and we're going to do it now we're, we're not going to review it in five years time and the next time we review yeah. company policy we're going to do it now yeah. and the problem is is it needs that impetus to do that whereas a lot of it is the perception that the status quo is okay stick to the status quo for a lot of men 
I think the problem is is not so much that they believe the status quo is okay, but they have never bothered to find out what the status quo is. They've never given it any thought. So I frequently hear guys going, well, I've got two daughters and and they're beautiful. They're the light of my life and I love them. And I want them to have the same experience I had uh, growing up, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. playing computer games and learning to code. And then I started helping my daughter learning to code. And I understood that uh, life is so much harder for her. Yeah. It's only when you suddenly have a woman in your life that you have to understand. <laughs> it, 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 part of me is kind of like, have you not talked to your mum? Yeah. <laughs> you not talked to any woman you've ever met, ever. <laughs> because I had this whole thing about, obviously, recently when we're recording this podcast, there's been the terrible death of Seth Everard. And it's caused a lot of conversations between people. But it's also really fascinating to be having these conversations with male friends who I've known for years who go, oh, well, I never realised you did that. And I was like, yeah. well, why do you think I rang you every time I got out of work and it was dark? And I said, hey, you got five minutes to chat. It was because I was walking home in the dark and I was scared. And they're suddenly having these whole conversations of, I have no idea about this because I'm not I'm not needing to think about it mm. at mm. all. And it's the same case. It's just because there's the status quo that works for them, it's only when suddenly there is somebody in their life making it obvious to Which, them in some Which, in fairness, though... That's we're all like we're that. All, yeah, we're that all absolutely we don't, guilty of that. I none mean, of we us benefit think. massively from systematic injustices because we are in privileged positions. It's just a fact, but it's just mind blowing. I, I do want to emphasize because just in case anyone listens to this who actually has had that conversation with me, um, this isn't a criticism in the no, fact no, that no. I do have that conversation, and I'm glad that your eyes were no. opened, but. We need to find a way for men to engage without them having to mm-hmm. have daughters first. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it is great when men kind of wake up and go, oh, wait, hang on a minute. Like, this is terrible. It's like, thank you for being yeah. open to understanding someone else's experience. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that you've done that. Genuinely, yeah. um, you now need to do that to your male friends who don't have daughters. Mm-hmm. You need to talk to them and say, mate, like, this is terrible. And we need men to start kind of stepping up and saying, right, this is just not acceptable. The, the the status quo is not good enough. I think in a lot of cases, guys just have not not been told this. They've not experienced yeah. it. And a lot of that, again, though, is societal conditioning. Yeah, because we are told not to talk about it. We're not supposed yeah. to rock the boat. You know, there is a a limited window of acceptable feminine behavior Mm -hmm. and talking about all of the uh you know sexism we experience and the frustrations and the abuse and all the rest of it is not inside that window of acceptable behavior we're not supposed to do it and we're certainly not supposed to say for god's sakes you need to spend more money on this and you need to start spending it now you know, yeah. that is absolutely, I'm, I'm really on, on the verge of, of becoming, you know, that angry feminist. And frankly, yeah. I don't care anymore. Yeah. No. Um, if that's what it takes, that's fine. That's what I'll do. I'll, I'll become the, um, the annoying voice buzzing in your ear all the time. Oh, Sue, you're my icon. You're my icon. <laughs> I love you. I, knew, I really do. I knew there a little romance. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> slightly in love. I'd much rather not have to do that I'd yeah. much rather not have to run Ada Lovelace Day as much as I love it there yeah. are other things in this world that I would also love to do mm-hmm. so I mm. would 
absolutely love it if all the men in the world could step up, decide we are going to fix this, talk to women about how that should be fixed, take steps, invest money, invest time, invest effort, invest your emotion, Mm -hmm. get emotionally involved in this, care about it. And then I think we could see some quite rapid change. And I mm. do think that there are more men now who are open yeah. to, mm. to making these changes and who understand that the situation is, is intolerable and cannot mm. go on. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I, I do feel that we could be closer to the rat's ass than we think. God, I hope so. I never yeah. wanted to be so close to a rat's ass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that the, this pandemic will have opened a lot of people's eyes um, and given them a sense of how the world can be different and that it is possible mm-hmm. to, to come out of this and create something new and better and something more equal, that our hand has been forced for the last year and will continue to be forced. This this pandemic is not over and it is going to take a while before it is over. And we have to think about equality, uh, you know, not just gender equality, but, but societal equality. We need to think about being more flexible in our thinking and how we do things and how we relate to other people and and the importance of understanding someone's context so I am hoping that you know now when when people say you know how are you doing that we will stop this nonsense I'm fine now everything's fine and actually be a little bit more honest in our responses but also be open to other people's honesty and and say it's okay if you're feeling really wiped out it's okay if you're stressed it's okay if if you're feeling down you know you don't have to pretend Mm -hmm. to to be something that you're not and and that the I hope that that we we take that lesson away from this experience and become more compassionate uh more flexible and more supportive society Mm. absolutely brilliant oh Thank you so, so much. Oh, it's been so much fun. I have so enjoyed it. I'm so glad you enjoyed the gin. So good. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Enjoy Thank the you. rest of your afternoon. Oh, yeah. We'll enjoy the rest of our evening. Pleasure. See Thank you soon. You. Bye. Bye. Right. There we go. That was Sue. That was Sue. I love Sue. How awesome. She's Um, pretty awesome. What I find so awesome about her is that she set up the Ada Lovelace Day um, herself and has been Mm -hmm. working on it. And as she said, it's not a charity, it's a business. Um, But she does so much campaigning and is so passionate about this whole area. And I could listen to her talk forever. Yeah, definitely. Because there's so much knowledge there that I just go... (laughs) Give me the whole thing. So what have you learnt? What have I learnt? Um, So our question was, how do we improve gender equality in the workplace? Money. Follow the money. Follow the money. Ask questions. Absolutely. Use your voice. 
Yeah. And it has to be with that money of really understanding how to enable all of that workplace to to be there Mm -hmm. and to be working. And hopefully what I've learned is there are so many nuances. The other thing I learned is you never know how close you are to the rat's ass until you're up it. (laughs) And I hope we're nearly up it. I hope we're nearly up it. And that gender equality in the workplace benefits everyone. Yes, well, I knew that. It's not hard to work out. <laughs> no, but I think it's it's sometimes wearing those little things that wear you down yeah. when you're constantly faced with, but what about, you know... Yeah, but it doesn't matter sometimes if you're talking to the wrong person about it. Because even if you say all those things about, well, it's going to give you paternity leave and it's going to give you all these options, they go, why do I care? Yeah, I don't want it. And those are the ones I find really wary. The not all men men. Because we know it's not all men. It's obvious it's not all men. We're not saying it's all men. But. And it's that equality for everyone to be whatever they want to be. Yeah. In an environment and changing our view of what is successful. That's true. Um, and getting a better balance. It was awesome. It was wonderful. And I love Sue and I'm probably going to marry her, whether she awesome. wants to or not. <laughs> I'm kidding. Consent's important. If you enjoyed this episode, listen to more. Listen. We've got tons. Got loads. And if you like them, really, really like them, you could always leave us a review because apparently they're quite helpful. You can also subscribe. You can. And then you don't even need to go and find us. We just appear. Every single week. Yeah. We are on Twitter at... Topic Gin. And on Instagram... Topic Gin. (laughs) Join us next week for another gin and another topic.